Hey there, today's Cabell Fever podcast takes a bit of a departure from the groomed and cut grass of the Berkey Trail to the rocks and roots of New Hampshire, where we talk to two of the fastest runners in the White Mountains, who also happen to be pretty good skiers, and who currently hold the fastest known times for several of the trail routes there. We get some Midwest perspective from Berkey Ambassador Annie Hart, too, who's been spending some time in those mountains as well. So, of course, by the end of the episode, we've planned our virtual Berkey. We also mentioned a certain U.S. skier who was unable to join for the podcast, unfortunately, because she's too busy standing on podiums in Europe. Now, this was recorded a couple of weeks ago when Jesse Diggins had only just won the Tour de Ski, not also beaten the Norwegians in 10K Skate at Falun. So I wanted to be clear about which podium she's standing on, but really we're excited about all the podiums. All the podiums. Now, we can attribute all of this to her runs over the White Mountains in the same rocks that we talked about here. Um, part of it anyway. The routes we're talking about are exactly the same ones she's trained on in the past two years for her big stupids. Now, we talk about an even bigger stupid here, and uh, we'll have some details about that, so in between only a few giggles, we may have come up with her big stupid for next year, too. And given her results this past winter, I think she should take us up on the advice. The Cowbell Fever podcast is brought to you by listeners like you, who support our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash offsevent, that's patreon.com slash O-F-S-E-V-I-T to find out more. And thanks to Ben Mullen and Brian Marks for their continued support. We'll also have a link to that on berkeyguide.com, as well as links to some of the insane FKT Strava tracks and Jesse's reports from the same rocks. The podcast is also brought to you by SkiWise, the app for finding ski trails and conditions across the country. So even if you can't get to Berkeyland this year for the race or for the uh, race week, you can find somewhere to ski closer to home. Go to skiwise-app.com to find out more. That's S-K-I-W-I-S-E-app.com to find out more. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the episode. We're talking today about trail running, and we're talking about trail running in the Northeast with two of the fastest runners in the Northeast, Jordan Fields and Jess Marion. And then, because I thought this would be more interesting if we had someone from the Midwest, we brought in Anne Hart, who you may know from things like the Olympics and winning state in Minnesota and being a Berkey ambassador, who's also done the trails that we're going to talk about, but not, not as fast as them, sort of at the speed that I do, which is still quite fast, but not this somehow just falling down the rocks fast that we're going to talk about. So I'll start with Jess. I won't give too much of her bio, but I worked with Jess up in the in the huts in the White Mountains uh, many years ago. Jess, why don't you tell me about who you are, what you do, and what your experience is shortly running? Cool. Well, I am Jess Marion. As Ari mentioned, we met years ago while working for the Appalachian Mountain Club in the hut system. I currently teach biology in a high school in Maine, Brunswick High School, and I run and ski and bike and do whatever keeps me busy and active. And you may remember Jess from many of the Main Street Lake Drunk podcasts that I do from time to time, um, usually complaining that she only got 20th in the Berkey or something like that. So, you know, we're going to talk about it today about being the fastest at something. So hopefully that'll be great. Uh, And you, Jordan? Hey, I'm Jordan Fields, and I'm a cross-country skier by background. I skied with Anne a little bit back at SMS. Uh, long ago, and now I'm a graduate student at Dartmouth College in the Earth Science Department. And in my spare time, I run in the White Mountains, sometimes fast, sometimes slow, and I still do quite a lot of skiing. Cool, and Anne? 
Well, hi, uh, I'm Ann Hart. I'm from Minnesota, as you said. Uh, I'm in my third year of law school right now at Boston College Law School, and I think my resume can be summed up, but in reverse order of importance, as Berkey Ambassador, Minnesota State Champion, and then the Olympics. I think that's the correct order of importance. But in my free time, I, I like to say active. You know, we just did um, an avalanche course this past weekend and got some backcountry gear and still do cross-country skiing and running love mountain biking and kind of keeping a nice pedestrian but still active lifestyle to compensate for the other hours I spend at a desk so Jess and myself came into this from from a ski background but also have done a lot of trail running but Anne and Jordan, you've done you've done a lot of training that has been very ski specific, but on trails with SMS and, and and in college as well. How did you go from skiing to trail running? How does trail running work into the ski training? Well, I'll, I can give a preliminary answer, and then Anne can back me up or refute me. But you know, the best part about skiing is that you can't do it for half the year, which keeps you fresh and wanting to ski, but also requires mm-hmm. that you find other ways to train those ski specific muscles and of course there's roller skiing but to avoid the monotony of busy roads in the summertime we spend a lot of time running on trails and in particular cross-country skiers do regularly uphill running time trials as kind of a fitness check-in you know for at the Stratton Mountain School for example we had two uphill running time trials one up the ski mountain itself and one up a dirt road that we would do regularly so the transition to trail running is really just a small leap from cross-country skiing. It's more just an emphasis on the training we do some of the time, uh, which is trail running. Yeah, I think that was a great summary. And I think another, you know, another thing we do is over-distance training can get pretty boring if you're just on pavement. And so in the fall and summer, just able to, especially in the east, and I guess the West, too, have, you know, four hours of not having to hit the same trail once and just sort of doing point to points is a really great way to just keep your fitness going. And then the time trials are a good way to test your fitness. And then I think just the agility of running in the mountains is something that's also super beneficial for ski racers. Definitely. For those of us who are from the Northeast or who have spent a lot of time here, the trails in the Northeast are, are quite different than, than the even the out West and, and especially the Midwest. There's a lot of rocks. No one knows what a switchback is, so generally the trails go straight up the mountains. And the, what we're going to talk to talk about today is mostly is traversed by the Appalachian Trail, so it's sort of the the, the tallest, rockiest bit, uh, the tops of mountains. I think the steepest portions of these trails rise about 1,600 feet in a mile, so it's about a 30% grade. Um, sustained. So, you know, take Bitch Hill, make it steeper and make it a mile long. The background that I'll talk about uh, with Jess is that we both worked in what's called the hut system. It's run by the Appalachian Mountain Club. It was first built in uh, 1888. They built a, a refuge at about 5,000 feet above treeline. But there are now eight of them and they're each for sort of normal people. They're about a day's hike apart, but there is uh, something called the hut traverse, which is where you run from one end of the system to the other, which is just about 50 miles. And then there's two other routes, one of which goes across something called the presidential range. And presidential range is because it's named after the first five presidents and then a few other ones that have been thrown in uh, over the years. And then something called the Pemi Loop, which is a loop around the Pemijawasa wilderness, which crosses a lot of these higher higher summits. And the hut traverse actually has had records that go back to, the, I think, the 1930s. So basically, once they built out the hut system, people started running from one end to the other. And that time has come down over the years, although really it's come down quite a bit recently. It was 
sort of stuck in the 12 hour range for about 50 years and has come down quite a bit in the last couple of years. And the, the, the women's time has come down quite a bit as well. And so Jess and I actually worked together in one of the huts. We worked in the system. So we had a lot of experience running up there or, or walking or packing a lot of food up and down. And that's where we met and found out that we, we skied as well. But I know that when we were up there, we weren't thinking about the fastest times, at least for ourselves. So Jess, when did you start thinking, okay, I'm going to go try to be the fastest person to do these things? I think that was really pretty a pretty recent, maybe the last year or two kind of realization. I feel like I've been moving fast in mountains on my own for a really long time. And I have to say, I really credit some of it um, to Andrew Drummond and his Ski the Whites, Run the Whites um, community building. Because prior to, I don't know, the last few years, there were sort of some some names and some folks running these things in the mountains and you could look at FKT boards which was this like niche thing with a couple guys going back and forth and and there were some names but I didn't really know anybody didn't really have a benchmark to compare I felt like I'd always been going fast uh, for myself and I I knew kind of how fast it would take me to go various points um, around like the hut system visiting friends going for a hike but I'd never really tried to just see how fast I could go. And I think um, getting to know other people, part of that community and getting to know real <laughs> real people made it seem more accessible. And that's how I found out about some of the FKTs and, and that sort of thing, which was the, the sort of final catalyst to just like showing up and timing myself and seeing how fast could I really go if I if I tried. So I'd say really just the last year or two. And Jordan, you ran your first FKT, I think last mm-hmm. year as well. Yeah, that's right. September of 2019. Uh, it's the first time I gave a fastest known time shot. And where have you been thinking about that for a while? Or is it sort of a show up and try for it? Uh, definitely something that's been on my mind for a long time. I actually did the presidential traverse, which is 18 miles of this hut system that crosses uh, the highest part of the range, including Mount Washington, and it's about 18 miles with 8,500 feet of climbing. And I first did that as a as one of these over distance workouts with a friend of mine named Jeff Tucker. It was a high school cross country skier friend, and we did it uh, after our freshman year of high school together. And it was like our big thing that we were gonna. It was our goal for the summer just to do it. And we had this crazy idea in our head that maybe we'd set the fastest known time that day. And we, we got up Madison actually pretty fast, I think in like an hour and 10 minutes or something, and then just proceeded to bonk epically. And I think it took us like 11 and a half <laughs> hours to finish. It just abs- ran out of food. It was, I was remember being absolutely decimated in a way I never have after that. And so then, you know, fast forward a decade, and I was like, you know, I feel like I've got some unfinished business up here. And it's a route that's really meaningful to me, having been something I did every year during high school and college, just for fun. And so I spent a lot of time there and wanted to give it a try. And you haven't done this yet, but coming from the Midwest, how, uh, how do you like the rocks? The Prestige Traverse? I've done that twice. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, you've done it. I should yeah. say that you, you haven't set the FKT. <laughs> no. Yet. Well, yet. You might. <laughs> yet. <laughs> it's not coming. Um, so I think my first, as like a background from Minnesota, the first time that I, like, I really understood what trail running was, was a time trial that Dartmouth did at Moose Lock. And I showed up and I'm a freshman, I'm a freshman trying to like, you know, act cool. Like I know what I'm doing and you know, it's this time trial and whatever. And Cammy, the coach, still a coach was explaining the route 
And I was like, okay, but like, where's the path? Um, cause she was saying, you know, you go like left at these rocks, follow the white blazes. And like, I literally didn't know that there wasn't a path to get up there. It was like a trail. It wasn't a paved gravel, anything. And so that was my background running. Um, and, but then over the, you know, the four years at Dartmouth and then four years at Stratton, you just get much better at it. There's a lot of falling that happens, but then you just get back up and you keep on running. Um, but for the Prezi Traverse, I've done it just two times very recreationally. One, both times with my fiance and most recently this summer with Jesse Diggins and her fiance. And it was her fiance's first time in the whites. Um, literally the first time he had <laughs> been there and we take him on the Prezi Traverse and he was he was amazing. It was like, I mean, the fastest known times are impressive, but I'm not sure it has anything on your first time hiking being 18 miles um, in the white. We were in the middle of it and he goes, you know, we are just shopping in bulk today. <laughs> and that's what I think of the Eastern mountain ranges is you're just able to get so many different peaks. And I think that's what's so cool about um, New England trail running in particular. And I think it's very unique. The history of the FKTs goes back quite a ways, but uh, has really come into the forefront this year. I think there's been articles in the New York Times about it. The three that we're talking about are the Pemi Loop. That's about a 30-mile route with about 9,500 feet of climb that goes over eight or nine mountains, uh, sort of separate peaks. The Presley Traverse, which we've talked about, 18 miles, about 8,500 feet of climb, five sort of major peaks. And then the Hut Traverse, which I, what I sort of like to say is a Prezi Traverse followed by a Pemi Loop. It's about 50 miles. It actually doesn't cross a lot of summits because the goal is to get to all the huts, but it sort of starts out with 10 miles and about a 4,500 foot climb in there. Uh, and then it goes over the rocky parts and then it sort of gets rockier and steeper as the day goes on. And the goal for most hut crew and, and most people who do this is to do it in under 24 hours. The record time that was actually set in the 60s and then sort of set on a slightly different route uh, about 10 years ago by someone that Jess and I worked with actually, uh, George Hendricks, was in the 12 hour range. And then the last couple years it, it came down to 11, 1121 I think, uh, then 1051, uh, that was Jeff Colt, who uh, another hut crew person. And then Jordan, you went out and took some time off of that this year. What was that like? It was a really incredible experience. I had planned to, I had run the Pemigawasset loop earlier in the summer and had a, a, admittedly a good day. I had set the fastest known time, but it was a really hard day for me. I hadn't prepared for a race effort. I thought I was just going to go out for a you know a training run and I ended up bonking really hard. And so I felt like there was more out there for me and so I was going to go back for the PEMI. But like three days before the weekend I was going to go for the PEMI, I decided that I just wasn't feeling inspired. And so I just wanted to try something else. And the Hut Traverse was unlike anything I'd ever done. The farthest I'd ever run was 30 miles on roads. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to do this and I have no idea how it's going to go. And I'm, I'm gonna do it not for the fastest known time, but just for the experience of being out there and hopefully get to a kind of headspace that is really positive and, and present. And so I set off on the Hut Traverse and it was a cold day in the fall. I think it was like, you know, 20 degrees with a negative five wind chill on the Prezi. So uh, the White Mountains, although they're humble in, in size, are, are, can be uh, fearsome in weather. So I had a, a brisk start to the day, but it was perfectly clear. And it was just an incredible day to be out and to see the entire northern part of the White Mountains in one go. I remember standing on top of the presidential range and looking across 
you can see your destination. You can see Mount Lafayette, which is the final peak. You descend Lafayette down into the valley and then ascend to the final hut, Lonesome Lake Hut, um, which is kind of a minor climb, about a thousand feet. So I could see the whole route in front of me. And I remember thinking it's not possible for someone to do that in a day. And then realizing that I was the person that was going to do that. So there was this kind of this, for me, it was very much a kind of mental reset experience and it was really positive positive. and Jess you did you've done one hut traverse um and I actually will ask you about this even knowing what it was like what was your experience like and you did did not set the FKT that day <laughs> no I so I did a hut traverse that that was really a the first experience that like taught me a little bit about my my human limits and that what what my limits were were actually far far beyond what I ever thought they would be so I had worked all summer at Galehead Hut, which is kind of perched on the rim of the Pemi Jawasset, and I had really wanted to try a hut traverse, but just didn't feel quite ready, or the the appropriate time on my days off hadn't really popped up. So the very first set of days off, I also worked that fall at Lonesome Lake Hut. Um, so the very first set of days off, I was really hell-bent on trying the hut traverse. I had watched my friends run it all summer. Myself included. Yep, Ari included, and I... I've realized like that I, I can do that. Like I've run these long things. I feel so strong. Like I, I can do that. And I really, really was fired up. So I, I maybe didn't choose the best day to do it. It was a record hot day for September or August. Maybe it's the last week in August. Uh, it was really, really hot, which sometimes I'm okay with. This was pretty hot. They also issued ozone warnings that day. And everyone kind of told me it was a bad idea. I think Ari included, maybe. Except I found one person who told me it was a good idea, and I said, okay. So I remember just sweating and already overheating, running down from Carter Notch Hut in the very beginning at like 3 in the morning. So that was, that was probably a bad sign. But it really, was, it really was awesome. Everything was going really well. But by the time I got to Lakes of the Clouds, I think because of the, the ozone warning, maybe, I had this like dry cough <laughs> that didn't go away until I got below tree line um, a few hours later and I, I didn't realize it was a bad ozone day at the time but it made sense later um, and then also because it was so hot despite drinking about like two and a half liters between every hut I got massive amounts of muscle cramps um, so why I didn't quit I really don't know but I just really wanted to do it um, so there was some crawling and falling and basically cramps for about 12 hour, twelve more hours until the sun went down and it cooled off enough that I stopped cramping. And so when I got to um, Mount Lafayette, which as Jordan knows, it's kind of from there, you can kind of see where you're going. It was dark, but I knew like it, it's really close. You're just going downhill and then up a little rise and you're finished. And and that's the site of many uh, failed hut traverse, surprisingly, is, is at Greenleaf. Um, people get that far and just like can't go further. So I said I was going to quit there. I was not going to go any further. I was sure the hut crew was asleep. So I was going to like go and steal some blankets and like sleep in the kitchen and, and like hang out with them the next morning. And, I... and we were absolutely awake. <laughs> And we were watching her light come down the mountain. Yeah, for some for some perspective, I was so beat up by then from the cramps that I remember lying. I laid down on a rock and called my mom, not because anything was wrong, just because I was in that. I was just in a very strange um, place. But they called me from, and I got a call on the summit of Lafayette. My phone rang, and they were 
like beaming blinking headlamps at me and said oh yeah yeah we're here waiting for you and they wouldn't let me sit down they put Gatorade in my camo pack and made me keep running and Ari very kindly um, hikes down with me and I don't really remember it but I guess I complained a lot no, I, you know, I think by that point, you were, you were in a definitely a, a headspace that is sort of beyond the pain cave that people were talking about because you've been at it for 20 some hours, but we, we met someone else in the valley who took you the rest of the way and that's where you worked. So I think you were just happy to be home, but it sort of sounds like Jordan's Prezi Traverse, except twice as long. The penny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, when you, the first time you did the Prezi. Oh, oh, the first time I did the Prezi. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I've had bad bonks on both. So sorry. I forgot. <laughs> but you had a bad bonk on the Pemi and still set the FKT. Right, that was a little bit more successful than my uh, <laughs> catastrophic bonk on the Prezi when I was 15, yeah. <laughs> and I assume that you're thinking about going back and trying to bring that time down some point in the future? I'd love to go back, yeah. Uh, I mean, we'll <laughs> see what this year brings. So much uncertainty for all of us, but uh, the Pemi is tentatively on my on my list. I'd like to do it again on a cooler day. But you still are the record holder for um, all three of these routes right now. For the moment. That could change at any minute. I know there are some folks hoping to use the smoother conditions in the wintertime to go faster on the Prezi. Because actually, the, a lot of the snow up there gets very windblown and packed out, and so it's almost like a groomed ski trail at points. I think the risk is a little higher, because should you post hole, you're stuck alone with a broken tibia on uh, the presidential ridge. So it's not for me, um, and I prefer to ski in the winter. But uh, a number of folks have reached out and said that they're going for it, so we'll see what happens. That, that'll be interesting. And now, Jess, this fall you had sort of a little competition going where you set the FKT twice in two weeks. Guilty. So I always thought of FKTs. I, I honestly, I have to admit, prior to the last couple of years when I saw FKT boards, I used to poke fun at them. I thought that it was insane to run a route over and over and over again because there's so many beautiful trails in the whites and there's so many great adventures. I just thought it was ridiculous to run a route over and over and over again because that just wasn't the point for me. I liked moving fast and picking different routes depending on the day. But I have to admit I'm also a com competitive person and I think everyone in this in this group would agree that sometimes when you set goals and or you have these ideas in your head, they just don't leave. And I decided I just really wanted to have the uh, Prezi FKT this summer. Um, I think the added carrot was that Solomon made it a golden ticket route this summer as a qualifier for their golden golden trail championships that happened this fall in the Azores. And while it wasn't necessarily about go trying to go to the Azores, I think that was sort of the added little icing on the cake. It just made it sort of a, a goal. So I just kept feeling like I had more to give. And I think when you ha try really hard and you get something and then it, you lose it within a week, that's a little bit of that can either be a, a demotivator or it can be like a big incentive. Um, and in this case, that was a big incentive to go try again. But I liked what Jordan said before about, um, I don't know, on the day when, when you were trying to go set your, or you had in your mind that you were going to try to set the FKT on the PEMI loop again, and then you just didn't feel it sort of. And I think that's so true with something like trail running in the whites. It's half physical but half mental like you really have to be in the right headspace you can train but there's just so many variables that you can't plan for that you you kind of have to either want it or 
just want a nice day out in the mountains. And I think that is just so true with these, with these like FKTs, maybe not for everyone, but that's definitely been my reality. When I, when I want it, I want it. And I, and if you don't, you save it for another time. And Anne, you're still in school in the area. Do you think you're going to go out, try the uh, Pemi Loop at some point this uh, year? You're going to try to bite off the Hutchiverse or, you know, go find some other trails that are less crowded? I think the answer is the latter. Um, I think one of the things that I have found is that I, I mean, definitely not the same thing, but again, what Jordan was saying and what Jess was just saying is that I no longer have this like insane drive to go run for like 10 hours. Um, I really enjoy my like three to four hour hikes. And I think that's what's been very cool about skiing and also just the extreme accessibility of the whites, which again, is I was reminded of this weekend is how there's like safe routes and safe options for everyone. And that you can really just kind of go play in the mountains to the, to the degree that you want to. Um, and there's like a space for you there. And so I have lots of friends who are still crushing, like winning ski tours, but who <laughs> will also just like come hike with me and her fiance and my fiance for like a really fun day. And so, well, I don't know, I don't anticipate, um, definitely not the 50 mile one, maybe parts of the Pemi loop. Um, and I think maybe I'll do the Prezi Traverse again this summer. Cause I think that one's just, it's just very cool. And you can kind of bite that off in a day and you can go from sort of, at least from me, from my background, I can go from doing like four mile runs around the Charles, decide I'm going to suffer for a day and then take a week off. Um, and so I think that's what's so great about hiking and trail running and stuff. I think, uh, Jesse, the last two years, her big stupid, uh, training day has been the Prezi Traverse and the Pemi Loop. I think we should sell her on the Hut Traverse because that's really big and really stupid. <laughs> Heck yeah. <laughs> She'll win the World Cup overall if she does that. Yeah, exactly. Um, we're, we're coming up on 2022, so, you know. That's right. Dream big. We've sort of gone off of skiing, but, uh, just before we end, I think we should probably talk about the Berkey now. We sort of have a range of Berkey experience. Uh, Anne, you've skied the Berkey once, I think, and a couple of Cordelopets. Yeah, that's correct. Jordan, you haven't quite made it out yet, but you're, you're, you're young and one of these days. I would love to do it. Do you guys have plans to do anything virtually this year? Or are you waiting till it's uh, in person in the future? Yeah, so I'm signed, both me and Thomas are signed up for it. And we're, I think just like as 2020 and 2021 is looking out to be is just sort of wait and see what things are like um and if it's not a good time to go then we'll just do something virtually here otherwise i would like to keep on going back and doing it i think it's really fun i am not signed up for it unfortunately although maybe i'll ha on the day of i'll do a 50k ski in solidarity with with those everywhere could be pretty fun i'd love to do it in the future so um if anyone is listening with a hookup to the elite wave that would be great. <laughs> I, I think coming in, what were you, second or third at Crassbury? Or? I was second behind Freeman, um, unfortunately, at the classic Crassbury Marathon and then the skate. It was myself, Adam Martin, who's on the Crassbury Green team, Chris Freeman, and Akio, who sprinted it out last year. And uh, I, being the, the slow twitch muscle fiber member of that group, uh, got the last place in the sprint, but just stayed with them for the marathon. <laughs> Maybe you can work a deal, Jordan, where if you run it faster than the fastest known ski time, you can have Elite Wave starts for life. <laughs> you can make him a deal. You can send Ben Pop an email and say, hey, I've got a proposition. Take it or leave it. And then just go for it. That would be absolutely insane. I don't know the Berkey course, um, but I've heard a lot about it. And I think that yeah. that would be a pretty hard run. Uh, just like 
<laughs> my sister my sister has done the um my right now my sister lives in Madison, Wisconsin, so she she has a little bit easier access, which is initially how I started doing the Berkey. It was like an excuse to go see her more than once a year. And so we've been doing it together the last few years, but she's done the trail run Berkey um and she did really well at it, but it definitely sounds kind of tough. It's just sort of up and down and up and down and that's on grass and I think sometimes mentally running on really wide trails like that is kind of hard. So. I know the best part about running in the whites is that you can walk half of it because it's too steep. So it's uh, it, running is really a you know it's a be careful with that term. It's here. a little bit of a a misnomer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when you're doing a four hour tra- Prezi traverse and you're coming down those trails at six, seven, eight minute miles, how you make it without falling on your face every ten feet? It's always a roll of the dice, which is why I only do it a couple times a year. You know, you only have nine lives. So. And only so many faces and legs. Right. <laughs> this weekend, um, so we did this avalanche course, and so apparently the record for skiing down from the top to the bottom is six and a half minutes. That's four... From Washington Summit? 4.2 wow. miles, six and a half minutes. Tony Mott, 1930. That's insane. It's a great story. The Tony Mott was an Austrian and came o- was, was came over in the 30s uh, because of things going on in Austria. That's wild. Um, and they did the Tuckerman, the, well, now they have the Tuckerman Inferno that Jess has won, what, three or four times. She is the Tucker mm. woman, uh, which is a five-stage uh, kayak, bike, ski, run, kayaking in, like, ice water race. That was the, that's the gateway drug to trying to get FKTs, is to do the races that are weird enough that you might win because... You might not be the best at any of those things, but if you can do five sports in a day and get the gear to do it, then you're oh boy. ahead of the curve. <laughs> Jordan is taking notes right now. He's right now. He's like, okay, this is what's happening. <laughs> a pentathlon of sports that not that many people do. There you go. This is exactly for me. Cross-country skiing wasn't niche enough for me. I had to go even even deeper. <laughs> <laughs> They had what they call the Inferno, which was a race literally from the summit of Mount Washington to the base. So 4,300 feet downhill over six miles. And most, the, they, they were just sending people off every minute from the summit. And it was, I think, a re- reasonably foggy day as it usually is there. So they had some stakes in the ground. And he came to the lip of the Tuckerman Ravine Bowl, which is like a 50 degree <laughs> glacial cirque and didn't know the course. So everyone else was taking some turns to scrub speed and he hit it full speed and rode it out with his skis straight ahead, so it was probably going 70 or 80 miles an hour at the bottom, shot down the, the, the Sherby, which is a trail that I don't think I've ever skied, certainly not in six minutes and probably not in 10, um, probably didn't see a lot of snow and mostly air and made it down in six minutes. And he said it was the scariest thing he'd ever done and he'd never do it again. No. Nah. I don't think he could do it again. I think that's one of those things that you do it once. No, like, no. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think it's just so amazing because they were, he was doing this on really, I mean, the skis today are nothing like what he was skiing this on. So with skis that long and like no, <laughs> no like sidewall. So he that's crazy. really couldn't turn. Like he was, he was just, once you're going that fast, you are in it. But it's a pretty funny story because the other, there was another famous um, guy. <laughs> the second place guy was Dick Durant, who's another Olympian. And I guess as he was approaching the head wall, um, his coach was there or something and, and was like, uh, Matt shows, Matt shows, you gotta go. And he, and he just looked at his coach and said, hell no, like, I am not, I'm not doing that. Uh, but yeah, Tony, Tony, Matt was a cool guy. He was also a, uh, I think he was a 10th mountain division skier. 
as well. It's a great story, though. Wild. And he may have run into Tony Wise in the 10th Mountain Division, who went on to found the Berkey, of course. I think that's probably a good place to leave it. Thank you guys for coming on. It's been a lot of fun to chat about. Jordan, mm-hmm. we'll look into getting you an Elite Wave start uh, if you sign up for the Berkey. I think the uh, great minds in this room can figure that out. Sounds good. And in, in the meantime, um, Ari, are you still in for a virtual Berkey? Yeah, we actually talked about, um, depending on what the snow conditions, doing the virtual Berkey up at Greens. Oh, um, if you guys do that, I'm in, 100%. I'll be there. And my husband, Lincoln, Lincoln is totally in. Um, this is my, my husband that we have converted from an avid, initially alpine racer to back. He's been a backcountry skier for a long time. And now this year, he just keeps talking about how he how much he loves nordic skiing so he's totally into heck yeah got him i i have the crazy idea of if the snow conditions are good enough doing five virtual berkeys in five days because there are five days of berkey this year for the podcast and for history why not go go all in (laughs) for the podcast everything for the podcast um the this is the number one rated berkey podcast that's out there Ooh, how many are there out of one (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks, Ari. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, this is great. Thanks, Ari. See you guys later. It was great to meet, greet, and catch up with Annie, Jess, and Jordan. And maybe we'll have them back on soon after we virtual Berkey. We'll have more podcasts coming soon. Although the format this year may be somewhat different, given that I won't have hours of material for post-race podcasts. I did find a new file from last year that I'd forgotten about, and it's only moderately embarrassing for your podcast host, so I'm hoping to bring it back uh, for this year's race. And if anyone else is considering doing multiple virtual Berkeys, because they can, shoot me a line. I'd love to hear about it. May the craziest skier win. The podcast is produced by me, and thanks as always to producer emeritus Sam Evans-Brown, and go listen to his real professional podcast, Outside In, from New Hampshire Public Radio, about the outside world and how we use it. They've had some great episodes recently. And thanks to Catherine Carlson for the fiddle music. See you all soon.